Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide Episode 6. This is the Athletics dedicated Episode 5, dedicated podcast to the Columbus Blue Jackets. This is Aaron Portsign of the Athletic, joined by Allison Lucan. We're here at the uh, Blue Jackets training camp, kind of day one. Allison, say, say hello to the people. Hello, everyone. Tom is joining us from remote. Uh, Tom, are you there? Yes, I am. This is all coming together. Um, what a day at the Nationwide Arena yesterday. Been at this a little while. Don't remember a training camp starting quite like this. Uh, I mean, these stories have been percolating all summer. Artemi Panarin, what's he going to do? Sergei Bobrovsky, where's he going to go? What's he going to do after this season? Both of the Russian superstars, both in the final years of their contracts. And yesterday was their first words to the media since these their sort of off-season stories took off. Panarin was jovial, uh, funny, engaging, sort of laughing on his way to free agency, smiling anyways on his way to free agency. And then Bob comes in and, oh my God, a black cloak of darkness, doom settled upon the nationwide arena. I've never seen anything uh, quite like that. We wrote up a a decent-sized piece yesterday on the website if you want to check it out, but let's talk about it further here. Uh, Tom, you've been at this a while. You've covered many, many sports. You remember a day coming out of the shoot that was was quite like like this one yesterday in Nationwide? No, and it kind of uh, it kind of began as it ended for Bob, didn't it? It was with some uh, bizarre a bizarre news conference. I thought uh, he ended last year in the playoffs by uh, basically after after losing four consecutive games, 
the series saying that, uh, see, I don't need any psychologists or whatever you guys are talking about. I'm fine. And then yesterday, turning around and, and kind of taking that uh, tone, uh, uh, almost kind of a combative, combative tone, uh, it is, it's a little strange. And you know, coupled with a news conference in Russian that apparently maybe some of the words that were interpreted weren't really what Artemi Panarin said. So, yeah, you add it all up, and that's a, a weird way to start the uh, season. Yeah, Allison, what did you make of this? I mean, I felt like Artemi Panarin was kind of Panarin, but that, that's, this isn't the Bob that we've come to know here in Columbus. Yeah, I think that is what struck me the most right off the bat, is that even if people had anything less than positive to say about his play, there was always comment to his professionalism, his work ethic, how dedicated he is, and, and this felt like a different person walking in the room. He he seemed to have, I don't know if anger is too strong a word, but definitely some frustration, maybe. Yes. Um, didn't really want to play along, uh, which is his right. Um, wanted to get straight to a business-like attitude in his answers, very to the point, very curt. Um, and it just it just felt like a different Bob than we've come to know. I was I was definitely taken off guard by by his interview yesterday. And his assertion that management knows what he's thinking for this season, management knows what his plans are for the future. Uh, it almost made it seem like he knew exactly how and when his time in Columbus is going to end. And I, I don't get the sense um, speaking to people around that, that it is at least from the club's perspective, that it's that clear. I think there's still some sense that, um, that the end isn't yet written here with Bobrovsky, but that's not at all the feeling you got yesterday. And, and it, you know, typically players stick up for players. You've seen uh, countless players saying, geez, I hope Artemi Panarin stays, um, but I'm not going to beg him and I'm not going to tell him what to do because, you know, this is, this is what unrestricted free agency is. I think Bob's comments yesterday, some of them um, were of a nature that maybe would not be well received in the dressing room. Not that players may articulate that, but it didn't seem it didn't seem like a guy whose main focus was on this coming season and fully wholly being a Blue Jackets player. Tom, am I reading that wrong? No, I don't think you are. What what, what was the quote about the the people around him? Yeah, uh, that he, he, that he, he does, yeah, yeah the criticism. What what was it again? Well, I have to look for the direct quote. I'll find it here, but. The uh, criticism, who he'll take criticism from and which criticism he takes seriously, uh, basically saying that, that I've got a group of people around me and it's their opinions that I, that I value. That, is, that, that to me was the quote that really stuck out more than any of them, to be honest with you. Because when I hear that, a lot of times guys will say, I, I'm not going to listen to the noise outside this room or outside my coaches. Uh, I, what matters to me is what my coaches say and what yeah. my teammates say. Right. We've heard that from a lot of players. Sometimes it might be a, just a way of getting out of answering a question, but I think a lot of times it's true. They yeah. value. This is not that at all. This no. is the absolutely, completely opposite of that. This yeah. is, I've got people on the outside here, and they're the ones telling me what I should, you know, how I should be feeling, and I'm, I'm doing just fine. So that's where, to, to your point, I don't know how that's, that comment is going to play in the locker room. Yeah, or, or certainly upstairs at club level and the, the management of this team. Here's the quote uh, from Bobrovsky. I don't look at those criticisms. So he was asked, 
you know, do you feel like you've been fully respected here? Do you have you taken exception to uh, some of the criticism about your playoff performances? Um, yada yada. He said, I don't look at those criticisms. I have a team, my own team of specialists and pro people who I trust and who I believe. Criticism mm. from them, that's what's important to me. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, you just you just wonder how, how that, and I, again, I'm not sure any players will articulate that, but you certainly wonder how that, um, just the sentiment specifically of that, but also the, this uh, sort of overarching theme of his day, how that registers it. Because I, I think sometimes goalies are seen as independent contractors. Um, I think Bob has always been held in high regard here for being a, a really ultimate team guy. And, and yesterday it seems to sort of drift in a different well, I'll say this, John, John Tortorella, you know, before he came here, he was there for this, the one the cup of coffee in Vancouver. Prior to that, he was in New York for four years, four and a half years. Yeah. And he had a goaltender there that won him three game sevens, three game sevens. So excuse me if it's okay for John Tortorella to think, hey, we need, we need our goaltenders to step up in the playoffs. How, how often do we hear John Tortorella during the regular season as the playoffs approach say, look, a player's legacy is made in the postseason. Right. It's not paid now. It's made in the postseason. And I don't know if some of this stuff and maybe things that Yarmo has said is rubbing Bob the wrong way. But look, you know, they pay him a lot of money. And, and if you want to be paid that kind of money – I, I tend to agree with Torts that your legacy really is made in the playoffs. Yeah. Allison, anything? No, I mean, I, I think we've covered it. I think what's what's doubly hard about both situations, quite honestly, is and Tom referenced, you know, kind of some questions about the translator. We were mid-Q&A with Artemi, and a couple times we looked at each other when, when a word was mentioned by Artemi that didn't come out of the right. translator's mouth. But um, it, these are two men who don't have a, a – 100% command of the English language. And that is not a critique because I certainly cannot speak Russian. Yeah, yeah. But it's that's something I worry and wonder about here too is are we are we emotional about some things from either side and the language is contributing to the lack of an ability to move forward. Yeah. Whatever that means. That that is something that's kind of in the back of my head. You know, we you mentioned in your article where Bobrovsky used past tense a couple times and I noticed it when he spoke, but yeah. At the same time, I say, is that a translation thing? You know, it's so it's 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 hard, and it's it's a it's a much different situation than I expected to start off yeah. this, this year. This the stuff with Bobrovsky, like he spoke in present tense, and then for the quote that we published with him speaking in the past tense, the entire quote was past tense. Like yes. And that was a quote where he was asked to sort of sum up his Blue Jackets career. And then yeah. he started speaking in the past tense, which was like, whoa. Um, the Panarin stuff, like we didn't run some of it because we we then passed the videos on to a, another journalist who speaks Russian. who said, geez, even by some of the standards I've seen in, in my home country, that's not even close. Like and some of those were, first of all, the interpreter was a employee of Gold Star Hockey, uh, which is the company owned by Daniel Milstein, Panarin's agent. Um, and a couple times you could tell that the, the trans, I use translator in quotes here, um, simply just fell into making his own speech and, and who knows what, uh, what, uh, Panarin wanted to articulate. I, there was, in some cases, he did not say something entirely different than what Panarin said. He just made it much more 
um, palatable with uh, smoother edges. Um, so anyways, what, what a strange day. Um, how can this be sustained? Like, do, do you think this team can, can play a season, can thrive in a season with this stuff going on with, with, uh, I think they can with Panarin. Yeah. The Bob stuff is worrying to me in terms of the, the whole of the team and their ability to, to really compete and focus on a, on a daily basis in these regular season games. Any thoughts on that, Tom? Normally when you, you know, it's an 82 game season and whether you start well or not, you have, you have time to kind of catch up. If, if given this, given the beginning here, I think they need to start well. I think this is one of those situations that if you don't start well, and if Bob doesn't play well early, it could mushroom. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's so hard, you know, with Bob, it's such a complicated story because He's been so good to this franchise, and he's one of the cornerstones of the turnaround, right? He's one of the guys that back in 2014 or whenever, whenever he came in, this thing started to 2012, started to turn around with him, and it's just it's so bizarre that it has come to this. He's been so good in the regular season. Some of it hasn't been his fault, but, boy, did he throw down a marker yesterday. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, if they start slowly – uh, it'll be very interesting, and in, and in, in how much, and if he starts slowly, do they start to use uh, the backup goalie a little more, who no longer can be going to Cleveland? Right. Uh, the whole thing is a little bit on a knife's edge right now to start this season, I think. When Tom, I, I you know, Tortorella has has said that you know the decisions for goaltending is going to will be made on who gives this team a chance to win. I think the one thing that's different heading into this season. Now, and maybe even, uh, I, I don't know that anything changes. I don't think that yesterday changes this, but the one thing that's going to be a little bit different this year is that Corpusalo will have a chance to make consecutive starts or a few starts in a row if he plays really well. That was never possible before as long as Bobrovsky was healthy. And, and to your point earlier, that they sent him to Cleveland uh, to get starts these last couple of years. They can't do that now because he would have to clear waivers, and there's no way that he would. So, I, I And I honestly, I think um, Tortorella would love for Corpusalo to get hot. Uh, I think the whole organization would breathe a lot easier if they felt like they had a guy who's ready for number one duty uh, in the organization because there's, there's a question mark about that. Yeah, Elvis Merzlikens is a promising guy, but never played a game in North America, uh, pro hockey. So I think that is different. Uh, and you mentioned that this could mushroom, it could mushroom cloud here. If, <laughs> if, if, uh, Bobrovsky struggles out of the gate. Cause I think some of the, some of the issues that he brought to the surface yesterday are of a foundational, um, size, like big stuff. I don't listen to the people here, I listen to my own people. I don't want to hear the, I don't want to play any more mind games with the contract. I just want to worry about hockey. Uh, this team knows what I'm doing. So ask them, you know, this sort of, uh, it was a far different tone than we've heard from, from Bob before. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, we've alluded to this, but as much as we can understand Bobrovsky and how he works, I don't want his mind fix, fixated on this stuff. You know, this is a man who talks about the process, who talks about his mental preparation. And I, too, if I am wanting this team to succeed, 
don't want him worrying about yeah. other things that seem to be on his mind right now yeah. versus just the hockey. And I and I do think, and again, we don't know 100% what everyone is thinking, but Panarin certainly gave that energy off mm-hmm. better. Um, and for someone like Bob, who I think is very contemplative, to be that brazen about what he said, I hope that he can put that aside and focus on his game. The other thing is, for me, if you have a guy that is, um, and this isn't petty, this isn't someone shaping numbers to, to prove a, an unfair point. Sergei Bobrovsky has struggled in the playoffs. It, it, that's irrefutable. Um, we ran numbers a couple weeks ago of since 2000. That's when the Blue Jackets joined the league. It's always a good starting point. Since 2000, the players, NHL goaltenders who have played 20 postseason games or more, He's 53rd out of 53 in one category and 52nd out of 53 in the other. That's safe percentage and, and uh, goals against average. Not good. Like, really, really not good. Um, that's irrefutable. It, and if you have a player who is not willing to confront that, at some point you're going to run into trouble. And this may be the point here where that does need to be confronted and that does need to be addressed that being a regular season goaltender um, a great regular season goaltender is fantastic. It gets you Vezina trophies. Uh, it helps your team qualify for the playoffs. But I think this is a point you made earlier, uh, Tom, when you and I were speaking uh, off to the side. The, Bob is responsible for lifting the bar here in Columbus, but now the bar has been lifted where the standard yeah. here is how you perform in playoffs. That has yeah. to be the standard now. And yeah. if, if he takes that personally and that offends him, then, then you're going to have a hard time. You're going to have a hard time, and that's going to come to a head, and maybe a change needs to be made. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't disagree with anything you just said. Um, this is, a, again, this is a team that is, that you know, and, and rightly so, this organization is not just happy with making the playoffs anymore. A couple of years ago, oh, great, you know, we're back in the playoffs, but this is, what, three times in four or five years they've yeah. made it now? Right. It's the best stretch they've had, but now it's like, let's go. And that's what the, the, the bigger, the big theme here to me from the end of last year until now, this was supposed to be building on this foundation and like, okay, we've got, we've got a pretty good nucleus here. We need a couple more parts and now we can start winning rounds and, and, and really going far. Right. And that's, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what the future is like. We don't know what this team's going to look like. At the start of next year, right? It's amazing. Um, as as strange as those two two uh, interviews were yesterday, the, I think the happy highlight, if there if you can have such a thing as a happy highlight, was Brandon Dubinsky coming in. And time you you spoke with him a couple weeks earlier for a story you wrote. Uh, we'll get to that in in a second. But this was a different Brandon Dubinsky than than I recall seeing. There was some contrition there. There was humility there. He spoke um, not not um, not openly about what he went through last year, but he was pretty pretty direct about what he needed to do this summer and where he thinks he is um, heading into camp. Um, you guys have both been around these guys. Have you seen? Start with you, Allison. Have you seen this version of Brandon Dubinsky before? I have never seen this version of Brandon Dubinsky. I I think I said to you the minute it was over, I was just shocked in the best way possible at his humility, his self-reflection, his kind of even keel. That's 
that's not a Brandon Dubinsky we've ever seen right. before. And, and there's no judgment on either version of that. But it was just, this is a very different man. Forget about hockey player. Right. But, and it was, a, you know, it was one interview, of course, but this is a very different man than we've seen before. Yeah. Uh, Tom, th- you, you've talked, as I said, you've talked to him previously. What did you make out of this? And where do you see this benefiting the Blue Jackets if Dubinsky is even close to what he was a couple of years ago? Well, yeah, I think we got to wait on that part of it, right? I mean, it's uh, – uh, yeah, it, he certainly seems to be on the right path, but I think even he understands uh, we'll see once the regular season starts and see how he's playing, uh, if he can kind of regain where maybe he was two or three years ago um, and just not play the way he was last year. I think the word that comes to mind to me would be humbled. I think he was humbled by what happened – uh, on and off the ice last year, and when there was finally some time for self-reflection, understood, I've got to make some changes here. Um, and you can, I mean, you could literally physically see him. He looks a little different. He's he's kind of changed his workouts over the off season, and he looks different. He seems to be in a great frame of mind. I think that's what we're all kind of getting at. He seems to understand that there were some issues that he, he he's been dealing with. And he's trying to get through them to kind of help this team. And as John Tortorella alluded to the day before, they need him. They need help at center. That's, you know, I'm not going to bang that drum anymore. They need help down the middle. And if he can give them that help, that's just one more step in the right direction for them. So we spoke to uh, John Tortorella just a couple minutes ago after the second wave of skating drills here today. Um, Really, the only thing of note today is that uh, Artemi Panarin, who we've talked about a bit here, uh, is going to be limited early on with a stiff neck. Um, we should pause five seconds and let, and let everyone tell their favorite pain in the neck joke here. Um, but that's where that is. Uh, just and a couple of other camp updates. Vitaly Abramov's wrist looks like he's going to be okay. Uh, I think we dealt with this before. Zach Wierenski coming off the shoulder surgery uh, is probably not going to play in early. Well, he's not going to play in early exhibition games. May not play in exhibition games at all. That will be decided as the exhibition season moves along. Uh, the team went out to, I think they still go to Jones Middle School for their run, their annual run. And wow, um, Winberg won it again. Not to take any, anything away from him, but the real news here is that one of the guys that almost that finished right there was six foot six, two 218 pound Doyle Summerby. Uh, the kid they signed last year, a Cleveland uh, AHL Cleveland guy. Um, so camp is is starting in earnest now. And funny, we were talking about that that run, and we just talked about Dubinsky and his his off season. Um, this all bleeds into the series, Tom, that you and Allison did uh, and are doing. The the final installment will be posted later today, um, uh, Speed Week. And I thought Allison's story. I don't want to make her blush was incredible today, uh, sort of deep inside the Blue Jackets' inner sanctum with uh, development coach Nelson Aote. Aote? Aote, and high-performance director. Director of high performance. He's the director of high performance, as I was saying. Um, (laughs) Anyways, tell us about that, Allison, and then we'll we'll, we'll, uh, brushstroke briefly the larger aspect of that series and what it says and what it means. Yeah, so when, you know, I mentioned in our earlier episode that this was kind of Tom's brainchild and we stumbled upon this topic and Tom was kind enough to let me take it on and 
Tom has mentioned this throughout the series as well. I think the most interesting thing that jumped out at us as we started digging was what's what Nelson presented to us, which is that so much of your capacity to have speed at a certain level is developed by an incredibly young age. And so after that, it really is about keeping your body functioning as optimally as possible so that you can achieve that limit. And you can make some small gains and they help them with that. But so much of what Nelson and Kevin Collins and the rest of the strength and conditioning team is doing is basically keeping these guys in optimum health, but to such a degree. And there's a video in my story of, of Seth Jones doing one of his jumps where you can even see the arrows indicate which leg is is driving force, which one is driving more force than the other. And it's, it's just fascinating stuff to see someone who is inspired enough to keep trying something new like Nelson and smart enough to execute on it. I mean, we talked to him for over an hour and I probably could have spent another five hours with him. The story itself ended up being quite long as a result, but it's really cool cutting edge stuff. This is the first NHL team to work with the Naraxon system um, that Nelson is using. And, and the players, while saying, you know, they all have their methodologies and their trainers have all been pretty positive on it for the most part in terms of just thinking it's pretty cool and also seeing that it does help them be better as athletes. And it was cool uh, that you pointed out, basically they stand in a line, they walk into the room, they jump three times yep. and they head out. It's no dramas for them. Right. Um, and from just that single jump, they can see if something is developing within the player. If they're, if even if the player doesn't realize it, if they're favoring one leg over the other, uh, and they can sort of snuff these things out earlier, it's really interesting. Um, I, I remember a couple of years ago learning that they used to wear the some players used to wear the the heart rate monitors during practice. I think more of them wear them now. They Maybe all, all do. of them do. Yep. Okay, mm-hmm. and they could tell. Um, if a player's heart rate was running even slightly higher than it usually was, that they would get them um, vitamin C boost or whatever right. because it, that was an indication that the body was fighting off some sort of virus and maybe they could catch it in the early stages. At some point, these players are machines almost and not humans. Right, right. Yeah. And it's it's it was pretty cool too was – as with anything in any type of organization, this is hand in glove with Torts's methodology. I asked Nelson at the end of one of our talks, I said, you know, we're right here in the middle of it, Torts, you know, skating these guys into the ground for the next three days. And does that even work with, with Nelson's methodology? And he actually was 100% behind it. He thinks that he and Torts collaborate on this information really well. Torts asks him for information on the team's rest level or a player's rest level and vice versa. And he was the first to, to mention what we all knew a couple of years ago and everyone thought it was so revolutionary, how important it is that Torts doesn't have morning skates for these guys. Mm. So the hand in glove of how Nelson and the coaching staff as well are working together is what makes this stuff work. Otherwise it's just a guy saying, Hey, do this thing. And, and no one listens. Yeah. So this was Allison's story was, was uh, part of speed week. It was part four. Tom has written um, just about the, the rapidly increasing pace of play in the National Hockey League about veteran Brandon Dubinsky's um, work to stay, to keep pace, about Liam Foody, the Blue Jackets' first-round draft pick, who is a, a spectacular skater, and what he does and doesn't do. And, Tom, you've got part five. I don't want to put any pressure on you, Tom. You've got part five coming today. Tell us what that is and, and sort of what this series on the whole has meant and what it has been about. 
Well, part five today is about the idea of, uh, it, it starts out, as, you, as we know, that everyone that, 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 that follows the Blue Jackets knows there's the AAA Blue Jacket program read by, read, run by Ed Gaynor. I was asking Ed, you know, you know, what has changed since you kind of took over in 2004? He said, well, he goes, now we have strength and conditioning guys giving nutritional information to 10-year-olds. 10. 10. 10-year-olds. And, you know, whether to eat Fruit Loops or not to eat Fruit Loops. We don't want to tell them they shouldn't eat Fruit Loops. We just want to give them the information. And part five is basically among the reasons that the game has gotten so fast is because the kids coming up have never been better prepared mm. uh, to play in the league. But at the same time, there are people in the league, including Nick Foligno, who's part of this, that wonders, can we harness that speed better? Uh, and whether that just because you can skate fast and just because you really looked apart, there's still the, the part of playing the game. And there are people that, that, that believe Kenny McCudden is among them, and I think Torts is among them too, that look, the, the, the skill has, is not quite caught up to the speed that some of these guys are coming into the league with. In other words, Connor McDavid's, you know, is the, one of the exceptions, right? He is just flies and he can do everything at high speed. But a lot of these kids are coming into the game. They look great. They skate great, but can they play great? And that's kind of the, the, the yin and yang of part five of the series. Interesting. Yeah. And, and you wonder, honestly, at some point, if, I mean, skill is skill is space. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. And speed is the um, claiming of space. So uh, it's almost like speed and skill cannot entirely coexist. That they're and if they're maxed out, speed wins. I don't want to like get all mathematical here, but <laughs> but that, that's just my thought. Like if the game is so fast, at some points this. There is no space for the skill that we're used to seeing. Um, anyways. Well, yeah, that's part, I mean, part of the idea. Torch was saying that one of the things he thinks is getting lost in the game, and, and he, and of course, he, we all hear him talking about got to go north, got to go north, no D to D passes. But he's saying, like, even in the neutral zone, the game used to have these great little 10-foot, 5-foot yeah. passes to spring two-on-ones. Right. Now it's everyone is hitting fly balls and go get the puck, and that there's not as much skill being being exhibited in the small spaces. That yeah. was one of the things uh, that uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois was working on this summer with Kenny McCudden up in Montreal to like make those plays coming off the boards in tight areas, show the acceleration, and then get into the play. And uh, he's one of those people that understand that it's got to be about more than speed. you got to make plays with that speed. Uh, and... So that's kind of where we are. I, one thing I want to mention about uh, Allison's story. I went with Allison when we talked to Nelson. And Courtney, maybe, I know you're a math guy, so maybe you don't appreciate this. But I can tell you, I could not have written the story that Allison wrote today. Because it was like all the way back to my sophomore year in college in Algebra 2. It was a fascinating topic. And within 10 minutes, I was completely lost. It was interesting as hell, but I'm like, What? By the mechanic, what? Wait, 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 what are you saying? And Allison's like firing these questions off, and Nelson's like firing these answers off, and I'm like, this is amazing. I don't, got, I don't get it. And I thought Allison did a nice job of bringing it down and it's really explaining it well to what they are trying to do here. And there's no question. I think Nelson is one of 
Uh, what did we decide? One of five Correct. high participants. Yep. And, and, and I agree with him. By you know, in a couple of years, I think every team is going to have one of these type of guys because everyone is looking for that little edge, that little edge that speed can provide, that little edge of good health. And 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 the, the word you kept using it in your story, Alex, is optimum. You want you want these guys at their optimum level. Uh, and I, I just think that it's it's, it's own, the science is only going to grow a bigger part of the game. It's such an arms race, right? It is. Yeah, yeah. You're always looking for you're always looking for that little edge, right? Yeah. Well, not to go off on a tangent here, but this is something, Tom. I think we we've, we've talked about this before, Allison. I think we've talked about it as well. I've I've been fascinated for years about how much bigger, and it doesn't necessarily apply to hockey because players have gotten actually smaller in some cases. So there's more of a chance for a five foot eight nine guy now than there was oh. 15, 20 years ago for sure. But but the game's gotten. And I guess what matters more about um, more than vertical height is speed. And the the game you know this game has gotten so much faster, but the rink is the same size. Right. Yeah. In football, the players in 30 years have gotten so much bigger. Do you remember when, when uh, William Perry was a big deal? He weighs 300 pounds. They all weigh 300 pounds now. Yeah. Um, and, and, and yet the dimensions of football are the same. The game changes then. If the athletes all change, but the dimensions don't keep up with them. What height? This is something, I'd, Tom, you do a little math for me. Oh boy. What would the height of the rim be in an NBA game if the average height of player, if the rim rose with the average height of player from 30 years ago? In other words, some teams oh, had seven geez. footers. Yeah. But guards were six foot 50, tall. 15 foot rim or something, right? It might be 11 feet tall. Yeah. Or maybe 10 foot eight or whatever. I, I, that kind of stuff has interested me. And if, if, the, if, the, if the dynamics, if the relationship between uh the athlete and the field changes then the game changes well right? i think when you, when you go back the one obviously major change that torts alluded to in the first part of the series was the removal of the red line now of course yep. it's still yep. actually there but but the, taking the red line out in the, in the first lockout fundamentally changed the game yeah. i mean the yeah. two line pass all of a sudden became to the far blue line, and all of a sudden you had where where you had a couple of guys that could really fly. Now every team has five, six guys that are really, really good skaters. Yeah. And any four, unless you are an exceptional player, unless you are an exceptional player, it's hard to not have some kind of speed in your strength in your skating game. Right. We've seen it. We've seen guys go out of this league in the last 10 years because they, they can't keep up. Right. Pretty young guys. Uh, yeah. And how many five-foot-something defensemen were drafted this year? Unheard of. In the first round, seven. Unheard of. Under six foot, seven, right. seven defensemen. Um, and we look at, you know, I, I think the Blue Jackets defensive core is a, is a perfect example of kind of where the game has gone, right? So under Torts and under Yarmo Kekalainen. Yarmo has completely revamped that that defensive core. Yeah. Uh, you look at the top two players in Seth Jones, Wierenski, both wonderful skaters, right? I mean, you could watch this guy skate. Marcus Nudavara came. I poor, I can remember sitting there when his rookie year, like, who is this guy? Wait, he's right. making the team, right. and he's done nothing but get better. And he's just this kind of guy that I don't think seven or eight years ago. 
probably would have made the NHL. Maybe 10 years ago, may have not gotten a chance to make the NHL because he's not that big. Right. But he can make a good nice first pass, and he can skate the puck out of trouble. Yeah. I mean, in the years past, you would do a story about the five foot ten guy who's going to be drafted. He's a defenseman, oh. and he's going to be drafted. Now it's everywhere. It's a, Chris Russell used to be small, yeah. right? Yeah. And now most teams have a Chris Russell. Uh, so I think that does it for this episode, episode five of Front and Nationwide. A reminder: you can get a seven week or sorry seven day trial to the Athletic. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast and thinking this may be a worthwhile purchase, go to athletic, theathletic.com, theathletic.com slash front and nationwide, front A-N-D nationwide, and uh, sign up for your free trial there. Thanks to David Cook for the uh, intro music and the outro music. That's at David Cook Music. Pretty cool guy to follow. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again on Tuesday. Thank you.